Blog Talk Radio. Radio 
dot com forward slash Mr. Talk. Okay? So those are all the ways you can participate on the show. And as we always say, man, we want to hear from you because you are what makes this show kick and go. That's right. Because we like we like what you say and what you do. You know, you add the flair to the show. You know what I mean? All right. So, of course, we have the, the, the song of the day. Uh, we will not have a black history moment today due to weather and things of that nature. And sometimes you just can't control. It's not my fault. It's Mother Nature's fault. I can't do nothing about that. But you know what? It's all good in the neighborhood because we still going to make it do what it do, baby, because that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do. Anyway, so those are all the things we got going on. And uh, we're going to have us some fun today. And I have... You know what? It's hard to do this because I'll be honest with you. I'm so used to getting started with with the normal nonsense that we have to go through on a daily basis, as far as what's going on in the news and the underlying the underlying meaning of what 45 has done or what some other crazy knucklehead has done. Today is a good day to where we can move away from that for at least one day and just enjoy ourselves and learn something new. There's nothing like learning something new. <laughs> I love that. Y'all know my ninth grade education. You know, I, I have to learn as much as I can when I can. I, I'm not ashamed of my ninth grade education. I did pretty good to make it through the ninth grade, I think. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, so with all that being said, man, like I said, we got a, a song of the day for you. But before we go any further, let me go on to bring that co-host. And y'all know y'all missed her Friday because she couldn't clean up with some of the stuff I said. But here's the one that brings the logic to the show. She brings logic because y'all know me. I say it as I feel it. But she has a, such an eloquent way of putting things that she makes y'all feel better. <laughs> That's the only word I can say. She makes y'all feel better. Because I'm just going to tell it straight up. It, it, it is what it is to me. So without further ado, let's welcome the co-host in. T. Ross in the house. What's going on, lady? How are you? How are things up there in the Tallahassee area? hope, you know, everything is getting back in shape. You know, we are worried about it. Yeah, it's better now that Michael done passed by. But, hey, we still cleaning up. But, hey, at the end of the day, we still here. Praise God. Whew, that's all we have. We still here. Girl, see, see, you almost made me go and do a do a, a hymn then. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, no, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. <laughs> Talk about a hymn. No. Uh-uh. Hey, hey, I know a few hymns now. You know. I know, I know you a do. few hymns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, May not be what y'all consider hymns, but I know a few of them. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I know you do know a few hymns. You know, Joe and Bobby and you know Michael. I know. Yeah, you do know a few hymns. Hey, don't forget Pam. Does that female with that yeah. mustache still know? Okay. No, I don't do females with mustaches. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't do females with mustaches. Adam, Adam, oh, okay. for anything else, all right? I was, I was checking. I was checking, you know. <laughs> well, there's no need to check on that one. <laughs> uh, you, you keep that check to yourself on that one. 
it. <laughs> so, are you excited about today's show? I know I gave you a little I'm little information on it. Now. Yes, I am with the information that I did get an opportunity to see. Um, yeah, I, 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 I know it's going to be a, a very good show. I can't wait until she gets here. You know, so let's not for long and get on with the song of the day and let's do what we do. Well, then, since you said it like that, let's get on with the, get on there and bring the song of the day up. All right, y'all, we got a, a song of the day. It's a new song from an old artist. A lot of y'all remember this guy, you know, as the love you, I love you man, Mr. Lady Williams himself. Well, he has a new song out called Fine. And trust me, man, it's a nice groove. For you steppers out there, you can get your step on. For you slow dancers, you can get your slow dance on. For you potheads, you can get your smoke, your smoke on, too. <laughs> but anyway, it's a nice cut, man. I, I really like it, and I really wanted to share it with y'all today. So without further ado, man, here it is, Mr. Liddy Williams, and fine. Enjoy. See y'all in about four minutes. I try to live right, 
Edward Waters College, baby, HBCUs. For those that don't know about Edward Waters College, man, that's a black college in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, nice little campus. It's not too big, not too small. I remember going up there playing basketball, you know, uh, back in the day. I have my little brother on the side with me. and go out there and run all day on the basketball court. You know, great, great place. You know, you used to go up there in the afternoons or during the summer for what they used to call upward bound. Y'all know enough about that. We need to take young young people up there, and, you know, you get to go to classes, and they teach you how to get jobs and things like that. So, yeah, once again, HBCU showing you what it's about. But you know what? Enough of me talking because y'all know me. I, I can't talk that well anyway, so it's all good. But without further ado, man, let's bring this Sailor in.
Yeah. You know, and, and I, honestly, when I first looked at them, like 35 and 53, you know, that sounds like a football team, you know, a quarterback calling signals and stuff like that. You know, I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? Of course, I read the book, so now I understand it. But would you like to explain to some of the listeners what that 35 and 53 um, stood for? Well, of course, um, when you are a gambler, which is what my father was, most people have specific numbers that they play. And my father always played 35. But if you know anything about gambling, you better back that number up and flip that number around. So that's where I got 35 and 53 from. Because those were his numbers that he played on a constant. And numbers okay. is what the game is called. It's called numbers. Um, the case of the brown paper bag um, came from attorney Earl Johnson Sr., who was one of the most uh, prominent attorneys in the city, especially during the civil rights movement. Um, he was an actually a, an attorney that defended um, the Dr. Martin Luther King you know, the very reverend Dr. King. And he entitled one of the cases that my father, one of the federal cases that my father was involved in, the case of the brown paper bag. Because one of the things that people would say was that when you saw people walking around the street with little brown paper bags, they were numbers runners. So they said that that was the hallmark of the numbers game back during that period of time. So that's where I got the title numbers 35 and 53, the case of the brown paper bag. Okay. All right. So, you know, because me and Pete was talking about this a little bit last night, and, you know, we were talking about the, the trying to get some clarity on the brown paper bag. Uh, what was the purpose of the brown paper bag? Is this what they actually had the numbers where, in? That's where you carried your bolita slips in and your extra cash in that brown paper bag. Or that's where your numbers runners would put your slips in for you to pick up at a designated spot. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. You know what? Hold on for a minute. I think we got a little ahead of ourselves because you, you, you mentioned a couple of terms already that um, I'm sure a lot of people have no idea what you talk about. So let's back up for a minute, okay. and let's and, and please please explain what a bolita is, because you know on the bottom of the book you have the bolita princess. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So um, let's, let's what, talk about that a little bit. Okay. What numbers is numbers and bolita are the same thing? If people are playing present day lottery, they are playing numbers. They are playing Bolita. Numbers and Bolita were an illegal gambling back in the day. See, in Florida, the lottery became legal in 1988. Prior to 1988, it was illegal to run numbers. But numbers was a way of survival. People played numbers. Every day, all day, they were betting. There were numbers. 
being played in Florida. There are numbers being played in other, other states, but my specifics are to Jacksonville, Florida, because that's where I understood it from. Um, my father was what you call a banker, so he actually backed uh, one of the larger bolita operations here in this city. Uh, he and another gentleman that I do mention in the book um, for many years. In fact, um, my father at one time uh, was a ball player in the Negro Leagues with the Kansas City Marnock. Um He actually got drafted to play with the Pittsburgh Pirates, but he had a condition called vitiligo, and if people remember, Michael Jackson made claimants to having vitiligo. Vitiligo is a skin disorder that causes a depigmentation in your skin. Well, when my father got to the end of the training camp and they were getting ready to sign him to play pro ball in the major league, the team doctor would not release him to play because of his skin disorder. Basically said, you can play the game, you play it well. I've never seen a catcher like this other than Roy Campanella. But you cannot bear the sun, so we cannot accept you. So with that being said, and he didn't finish college, what could he do? Jobs were not plentiful in Jacksonville. So he was introduced into the numbers racket. And, you know, they call them racketeers. And this is what he started to do in, the, in like, 1960, is run numbers. Mm. Okay. So when you say a banker, that's the mind. So he's the a, one who a banker, actually – yeah, go ahead. He backed all he backed all the numbers. When people wanted to play numbers, he had different people working for him, selling numbers, running numbers. It's just like you're having a staff. A banker has a staff of people that work for him. You know, and people would play, for instance, this is like say, um, you want to gamble a dollar. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, back right. then you said, okay, I want to play 35. If 35 hit and you only played a dollar, you made $65 because it was $65 to the dollar. So you could imagine what somebody who played 35 and $40 on a number was making. They was making $65 to the dollar. Back then, that was a nice, hefty sum of change. Yeah, it was. And most of the people that would work and be numbers, runners, and sellers for my father, they would have smaller jobs. They would be maids. They would be secretaries. But what was going on, Eric, was they just did not pay their bills. You know, it's just like the economy today. You've got people make working two and three jobs just to make it. So it was a source of survival. And, and, and my thing, I always say that running numbers, kept people off the welfare roll. Mm-hmm. You know, I you right. look back, and if you go back in time and you remember people on welfare before they even got food stamps, they were giving people commodities, canned pork, canned chicken. The can was silver, the cow was black, the chicken was black, and people were standing in line for commodities. But there were people that chose mm-hmm. not 
numbers. And and, and understand something. I, I tell people all the time that this was a gentleman's game. This was truly a gentleman's game. Um, there was no standing on the street corner with saggy, baggy pants. These guys were articulate. Uh-huh. They were smart. And they understood what was going on in the economy. But they were running illegal family houses. I have a question, and you brought up a, a good point about the commodities, because I do remember them. And, and they also had the big old giant cans of peanut butter as well. That exactly. Yes. <laughs> Just tore up your bread. I mean, my God. <laughs> but you know, and they were giving them bread. And they made them stand in line to get oh, it. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I do so remember you, that. You, you had people that said, I mean, my father had a lady working for him that was 86 years old. She refused wow. to not be able to take care of herself. Uh-huh. So okay. she sold numbers. In fact, she was his biggest <laughs> Biggest seller. Wow. She could barely walk, but she was not going to depend on the welfare system. See, we need to get back to that. Go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. No, I, I, it, I, it, I, I, you know, when you went. When y'all start talking about the peanut butter and stuff, you know, I, I'm just thinking about, and uh, Rhonda, I know you know what I'm talking about, 13, and was it 13? No, 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 no. Yeah, 13, and Tyler, I think. Was it Tyler? Anyway, by the park well, up there off of 13th Street. Right, and little, I mean, they had, they, they, they give them out at the community centers. They give out the, yeah. the cheese and the butter yeah. and powdered eggs. And this was before food stamps, you know, were, were they were giving out food stamps. Right. You know, so this was a way of life. So people would rather, you know, hey, my side job is selling numbers. My side job is hustling Golita because I want to go to the grocery store like other people and buy what I want to buy. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, my children clothes, you know, my child needs books, and guess what, my child needs a decent college education, uh-huh. look out now, you know, and that was, that was one of the main things back then, you know, my child will do better than what I've done, you know, but to my tell, exactly. me, tell me some more about your, yeah, tell me some more about your father, because I remember when we first met, you know, um, we're both I think we first met my Correct. My father had just passed away. My father passed away in April mm-hmm. of nineteen eighty of April of nineteen eighty three from a heart attack. And right. I we always said that my father died out of stress from all the multiple federal cases that had been mm-hmm. lodged against him. And um right. I mean, my father was still healthy, running four or five miles a day, playing tennis. But um, he was a numbers runner right up until the end. You know, mm-hmm. having all of the cases, uh, his initial case was a charge of perjury. 
because he would not admit to being in the numbers game and knowing different, you know, he wasn't on trial, they were, so they called him as a witness. The judge deals, you know, said, hey, this is entrapment, you know, so that case is watched away. And as you read the book, I don't want to tell everybody everything that's in the book, but as you read the book, you see the injustice of the American, you know, justice system, the federal system, Mm -hmm. and how they treated and, and, and right. one of the things I want to make it vehemently clear is that running numbers, running Bolita was just not a black thing or a Spanish thing. It was a thing. White hmm. people ran Bolita across town. Yes. Okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. They might want you to think they did not. But for the sake of not being sued, I can call names of judges, lawyers that were numbers mm. runners and bolita runners right here in the state of Florida. They got the mm. education mm. just like I did. Mm-hmm. And they know they did. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it wasn't a, I, I don't look at it as a bad thing. I, I look at it as if if you played the lottery, Right now, you running numbers, you playing numbers, you betting, you gambling. Yes. Mm. Yes. You know. And that is such a true and, statement. People don't realize that. Go ahead, Keith. Yeah, that 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 is true. But because it they call it's so called state mandated, they call it oh, legal. That's... But 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 yeah. in, if you look at it. Where did it initiate from? Where did it come from? And it came it from the came from back in the day, if you really look at oh, it. Oh, one of the things the game itself came out of Cuba. See, the, the oh. term bolita means small balls, little balls in Spanish. Mm-hmm. What do you see when you see the, the lottery? You see little balls. You know, within the game of numbers, the game of Bolita, just like in the Florida lottery, just like in the lottery, there are multiple games within that game. You would have a game called the Night House, played every night but Sunday. You'd have the, the bonds, the total, Cuba. We were getting information out of the Wall Street Journal as to, and you were doing something called the Aqueduct Horse Races out of New York. I would watch my dad go down to uh, a local newspaper shop and get a copy of the Wall Street Journal because he wanted to know what the bond was because the bond was posted based on the largest bank take-in. So it was a lot of different things that went on during this time that, like I said, this was a way of surviving, and multiple people ran numbers in the city of Jacksonville. Hmm. You know, and, and oh, that was man! I tell you, and, and you never, you, you know, growing up, you know, I, I never. There's something I never witnessed myself. I, I can't say about anybody else, but I do remember uh, the, the the racetrack out there on um off of Dunn's was it not Dunn's Avenue, Macduff, Macduff Avenue. Mm-hmm. Remember that, Rhonda, right behind the motor pool. I, I, I remember that, but see, this, 
this they, these horse races were were much bigger and much larger. We're talking about the Aqueduct horse races out of New York, and okay, it would be races. the information would be talking big races, big dollars, you know. And there were multiple people, like I said, running numbers, and people had their own turf, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, my my father's turf was East Jacksonville. Okay. Like, and, you know, and I talk about that. I mean, they go into Mixon Town, you know, different areas of Jacksonville. You know, mm-hmm. um, we had my father had his turf. Um, I remember a lot, and and I do talk about it in the book. Um, on Sundays, I was just a little girl. I was, you know, about eight years old, and I would ride with my father on Sundays just to um, look and see what he was doing. And one of the things that my father has always been really big on is manners. You know, Mm -hmm. um, he said, when we walk into a person's house, Rhonda, you say good morning, good afternoon, because you didn't sleep with them last night. And as a little girl, you know, I did what I was told. I walk in and I speak to different people that he was doing business with. I never knew whether he was making money, paying out money. All I knew was he was there that Sunday after church because this took place when we got so we got out of church and we'd make anywhere from fifteen to twenty stops for riding around and he would be paying his workers and picking up money, you know, mm-hmm. because he was a Bolita banker. You know, and and, okay. and very knowledgeable gentleman, very smart, very articulate. Um, I tell people, I said, you would have thought that my father was E.S. Hutton because everybody always wanted to hear what Frank Baker had to say. You know, <laughs> very well respected. Go in a place and doctors and lawyers, hey, Frank, Frank, how you doing? And I'm like, my goodness, how does he know all these people? You know, how mm-hmm. is he friends with all these people? Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I my, my sister, my sister, my sister and I often laugh because my father and Charlie Haas Singleton were very, very good friends. And if you don't know who Charlie Haas Singleton is, he's actually um, was a resident of Jacksonville. He grew up in Jacksonville. He wrote Spanish Eyes, you know, and Strangers in the Night. And my father was like one of his closest friends. You know, these are the type of people that were at my house on a daily. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being in the numbers racket um, brought him in contact with people of all walks of life. But my father's mantra was, everybody is somebody. You know, so mm. it didn't matter whether you had money or didn't have money. My father always had time to talk to That's always it was a great thing. Always a great thing. You know, and, you know, you said he was well-respected. So did the respect come from just him being himself, or was it from being the baseball player was, or being a police banker, or just the way he carried himself? It, it was just the way he carried himself. You know, when I wrote this book, I must have interviewed at least 30 to 40 people. And 
when I would start my interview, I would say, all I want is the truth. I do not want you to lie to me. I mm-hmm. don't want to lie. And I kid you not, I could not get anybody to say anything bad. It was always, oh, man, Frank was a great guy. Frank was a gentleman. You know, Frank loved the Lord. Frank was just great. And I was like, it's like you're almost talking about royalty. So when I started oh. calling myself the Bully the Princess, that came from, my goodness, people thought of this man as if he was the royal royalty, if he was some type of king. So that's why I started calling myself the Bully the Princess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And, and, and that, that actually that actually makes sense. That makes sense. So you as an eight year old little girl, you ride around with 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 your dad and you know, the some of the things you witnesses, you know, I, I, I can just some see your, your facial expression because to you it's just daddy. You know, it's just daddy. But you you you, you yeah, you said you know you just riding, you noticing how how he's acting, everybody's interacting with him, but never at one time did he uh, give any indication that he was doing anything illegal or anything dangerous. Could you say it was sort of dangerous? Correct. It, it was. Um, I think the danger comes in. My brother says the danger came in when the feds were busting Bolita houses. Because this was a gentleman's game, you know. Mm-hmm. But when houses were busted, uh, that's when the violence came in, you know. But all in all, I mean, I, I did witness a lot of things, a lot of money being transferred. I think by the time I was nine years old, I'd seen a $1,000 bill. And I never forgot, I, I saw my daddy folding some money up in uh, some aluminum foil. And I was like, Daddy, can I see that? And he showed it to me. I said, Daddy, that's a $1,000 bill. And he said, yes, sugar, because that's what he always called me. And I said, why is it in the foil, Daddy? And he said, it's in the foil, so I won't get it mixed up with the $100 bill. And I was like, oh, okay, makes sense. Which the $1,000 bill is now out of circulation. So, I mean, I saw a lot. Um, like I said, this this group that my father worked with was, you know, a phenomenal, phenomenal group of people, and they were always just, you know, very respectable people, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them have, as, as my father, have gone on to be with the Lord, but the ones that I run into even now, even when I was doing the book, they had nothing but good things to say about my father and, you know, how he conducted himself, you know, a bit of a ladies' man, you know, uh, if my my mother was on the earth playing, she would, she would echo that, you know, uh, the ladies loved him just a little much more than she could take. <laughs> so, but um, all in all, he, he was a great guy, you know, um, a really great guy. Well, let me ask you know, since since we you brought it up, so was that? <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> can you say was that to be expected or, or part of of what could happen? And it's just expected, long as you know you took care of home, 
you know, you really don't worry about what what was done out in the street. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm a female, and I, I want uh, my man to be my man. But mm-hmm. one of the things that it's, it's just like with any other person that makes, you know, or is wealthy, ball players, and they're women. They're women in groves and droves um, that are interested because you have money, because you are nice looking. And, you know, he just wasn't as faithful as he could have been, and he knows that. He knew I knew it, you know. But uh, that's just life. Hey, hey, wait a minute. You, you, was the, you was the baby girl. You know, even though he knew you knew it, he knew you was going to keep your secrets, though. You know, if you wanted to well, know I, you was going to Well, I mean, what, what, what are you going to ask your daddy? Oh, daddy, are you cheating? No, you're not going to ask that. That's huh? not your business. <laughs> a child stays in a child place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, you, you know, know how, you know how I mean, daddy. Who is we, 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 we laugh now. Uh, we laugh now, my sister and I, we laugh now about it, you know. But yeah, I, I, it was very hurtful for my mother back then, you know. But um, he was still, he was still a good husband. You know, but. you know, and that that goes back to the original question because that that is what um that was really what the outlook. Hey, I you know, and I, I'm not saying that's the way your father looked at it, but back then during those times, that's how men figured I could have, as they call them today, my side chick over here. But as long as my house is taken care of, my family's taken care of, you know, there shouldn't nothing be said, and I don't, I say, flaunt it out in, in your face. I, I, I don't know. I, I understand. I don't know what he thought, you know. But um, I just know he wasn't successful in some of his, his ventures. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, tell us about some of these cases that they came after him. You know, because in the book you mentioned it, and some of the things you mentioned about in the book, as far as informants, brought me right back to how the um, FBI. You know, the police, the federal agents, uh, the IRS, they are never any better than they're in. That goes from then to present day. If there's not some mm-hmm. type of rat pink, tattletale, big mouth, whatever you want to call it, telling your business, then they don't know. But there were people that played both sides of the game. You know, mm-hmm. they're being paid off by one entity, then they're being paid off by you. And they're just kind of riding the fence, you know, seeing how much money that they can make. And there were instances where um, people were just talking a little bit too much, mm. you know, and telling things, you know. Like I said, it, it, once you get into the book, you will see, you know, one instance in the book that um, his last federal case was, was, it was horrible. It was actually horrible. I I looked at an episode of um, Tyler Perry, and it was almost like a page out of my father's life where someone planted drugs in 
your car. See, one of the things that, that, that sparked a lot of attention, um, my father was very flashy. Mm-hmm. And he was an impulse, he was an impulse buyer. Um, today he bought a Corvette. Ninety days later, he decides he doesn't want it, and he goes and buys a 1968 Mercedes Benz off of the showroom floor. Oh my! Then people are looking at him, not even knowing what the car was. Okay. Um, Mm-hmm. When he walked out of what is now called Brumos, which was then called Peter Gregg, um, Brumos, he was told that he was the first black man in the city of Jacksonville to ever own a Mercedes. Now, you're riding down the street in a brand-new convertible Mercedes-Benz 280SL, and you're the talk of the town. But you're also... The ex-ball player, you're also the racketeer, okay? And you're also the guy that's got vitiligo. So attention is on you seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I tell people I remember when federal agencies to come to the, to the front door on a Tuesday morning in the summertime, knock on the door, and my father would just open the door and let them in. It was as if he'd expected them to come. You know, and he'd sit and he'd talk to them and, you know, he'd be extremely cogent and copious and everything would be followed with this nice little pontificated response. And um, afterwards, he'd ask them to leave because they had what thing on him? Wow. Wow. So, I mean, it, 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 it was, what it was. What it was is, and it bothers me so, especially now that the lottery has come forth in 1988, and everybody and their uncle JoJo plays the lottery. It's taxed. So it's all good now. You know, no problem. One of my biggest concerns for Florida is that when we voted, to let the lottery come in, they said that they would put X number of dollars back into education. But what they've done is they've only put 27% into education, and that's into, like, right future scholarships. This is my problem. Who's benefiting from those bright those bright people scholarships? And that is in Jacksonville. I want to see them do something else with some of the money from the lottery. Let's see some housing being built for people of low to moderate income. We need some new rental houses. Let's spend that money on something else as well as increase education. That's what I would like to see. Because, see, now when my father was running Bonita and people needed help with that college tuition, he'd help them. Right. When I went to college, that's what I went to school off of, Bonita money. Uh Uh-huh. 
so let you know you we I think they need to see about restructuring the way that they do the dollars with the Florida lottery. It's not the lottery that I have a problem, it's the way that it's handled. Exactly. I mean, I, because, um, if you if you recall over the last few years, if you look at the number of school and this is this is not just in Jacksonville, Tallahassee, or what have you, if you look across the state of Florida and look at the number of schools that have been closed, you know, exactly. in the black community, you know, rather than repaired, the schools that have been closed, shut down, combined, and initially um, part of the lottery money was purposed to decrease classroom size. That was in that bill as well. But what they but, did but was, seen oh, it. yeah, right, right. It, it it never it manifests for a small amount of time, and then what they did was come up with the with the F cat or whatever, and a grading system for the schools. And if they were a D school, those schools got no funding. They got no funding for infrastructure, for class materials, or any of that. And eventually, they were closed. So. If you don't have the number of schools anymore, the number of school facilities anymore, and the lottery has increased steadily year after year, where are the funds going? Because they're definitely not going into the school. And that is my point. That has been my point through this whole thing. So I, this is when I got on this campaign, and I mean, I'm, I'm an Andrew Gillum advocate, but one of the things that I have been constantly emailing him is what are we going to do with the Florida lottery? We've got to increase the dollars for education. You know, I work for a nonprofit and I see so much. I've always worked in the nonprofit area. And one of the things that I see is people will tell me that they've been waiting on that section eight certificate for a couple of years. That's right. crazy to me when we can use some of those same dollars, you know, wherever they may be, from the lottery to build some additional rental properties. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I, 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 I have been a former housing developer as well, and one of the things that I can tell you from all the study and statistics that a child that grows up in a house with a backyard and somewhere to run and play, they fare better in school. They do. That's true. You know, so then they do better in school instead of closed up tight in an apartment where they have no yard. So these are some of the things that I, 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 you know, I'm addressing in my emails and my texts to Andrew Gellum. Got to do something. Florida took the, the took Bolita away. You know, Bolita's still running underground somewhat, but it is not what it was in 1960, 65. No, it is not what it was back in the day. Right, right. So, you know, I, I outline a lot in my book. Um, one of the things that really helped me in writing my book is the fact that my father said, when I was about 10 years old, and I believe that was his last federal case ended, he said, I think I'll write a book. 
but he never got the opportunity to write the book. Uh-huh. So I decided that I would. And I kept saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I sat down one day, and I just started writing. And I started writing. And I happened to look up at the calendar, and the date was March 28th. And I said, my God. I said, this is my father's birthday. Wow. And that just made me write even more. Then I knew that it was ordained from God that I write this book and finish this book. So, that's, so that's, tell that's, us a little bit about, uh, oh, I'm sorry, P. I said that's, um, that's, that's um, powerful right right there. So, you know, yeah. that we always say there are no coincidences. You know, no, there are no, none. None, only, only purpose. Now, I did have a question to ask, and I hear you talking about the numbers and about him going um, to get the papers. How did they determine what the number, the winning number was going to be? Well, there, like I said, there was there were different games that were played. Uh, one of the games that w- was played was just like you used to those little balls shoot up on Saturday. They would have a game where they would take a bag, okay, with numbers from zero to 100 in them, okay? And they would toss this bag around the room. Then someone would grab that bag at the end, cut it, and whatever ball they were holding from the cut bag, wow, that's 35. That's the number. Now, multiple people could have played 35, but... People like my father were playing four five hundred dollars on a number. Uh-huh. You know, I I can remember one day, and I mean, I was one of those nosy little children. Okay, I mean, very nosy. And I remember overhearing a conversation, him telling my grandmother, "I just called for fifty thousand dollars." And I'm like, you know, I'm laying down there at the foot of the bed looking up, you know, and um, what are we going to do? So because he could not bank everything that he had, he had to find ways to put his money away. You know, right. so he he was fortunate that he had a very, very loving, understanding, kind, great mama and a great auntie. That could help him do that. My 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 grandmother was this this awesome woman. Um, we we often would laugh at her because my grandmother worked forty two years at the naval air station as a, as a civilian cook, and uh-huh. the, the, the joke would be, you know, she you'd ask her, you'd say, "Mother dear." Mother dear, um, what was your highest grade in school? And she'd say, oh, I went to seventh grade. And then she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. She said, I was promoted, but I never went. I had to get a job. Because this is a lady that was born in 1914, okay, whose father was um, six months old when they freed the slaves. He was what they called a free issue. So, I mean, she had a lot of history behind her. Yes. You know, and, you know, she she raised my father. You know, her her and her husband, my, fa- my father's father, divorced, you know, when my father was very young. My father is 
was the youngest of three children. But this is a woman that raised her children, sent her children to college, did everything she could to make their life successful. And she did raise the children. Wow. Wow is right. <laughs> wow is right. <laughs> yeah, you know, just just the philosophy, you know, and the word of God that, that we had back then to ensure that their next generation was going to be more successful than they were, you know. And right. To see that accomplished, you know, it, 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 it's amazing. I remember the stories, uh, you know, um, from my grandmother, you know, because she was born in 1899, you know, and, and she would tell me about some of the things that they would have to do to ensure that my mother and, and, and aunties and all of them made it to school because she always said, you know, well, I only got a sixth grade education. I had to, you know, I had to go to the fields and work. You know, exactly. It really, wasn't, it really wasn't an option, you know, for her to continue on. But she ensured that her children did. Exactly. And and that's what my grandmother did, you know. She wanted the best, you know, for my father and, you know, for myself as well, you know. And all of her grandkids, she wanted the best for us. She never wanted us to struggle for anything. Yes. Hmm. You know, um, you know, speaking of that, you know, it's uh, in, in the book you write, because these cases against Daddy were so widely publicized, it sometimes caused troubles for me as one of the neighborhood high rollers did not want their children playing with me because they had read the recent newspaper articles written against my father. They would always make right. art comments and treat me unfairly as I passed or while playing with other kids. Tell us a little bit more about um, that. Well, you know, um, Growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up in, like I said, it was a you know working class neighborhood, middle class neighborhood. Um, and my my father had a term that he would use. He'd say, "Well, they were sanctified, but wasn't satisfied." You know, my father had a cliche for everything, but I was treated sometimes unfairly, um, not by the kids, but by the parents, because my father was a numbers runner. Uh, you know, my mother was. Professional woman, she was a nurse. Um, but you know, people read, believe what they read, and everything you read is not right just because it's written in in in, in print. And right. like I said, one of his cases was extremely major, um, extremely major. And I want you to buy the book on Amazon.com so you can see about what how major this case was, and it looked really, really bad for him. Um, it was going not well, but my father had an awesome attorney in Earl Johnson Sr., and he pulled it off, and the case actually was dismissed. You know, um, but people would read that and, and treat me badly like, I had done something or my father had personally done something for them, to them. But um, mm. you, you, but for the most you know, part, I mean, is, go ahead, I'm sorry. 
I, for the most part, I, you know, most people didn't, but I just remember that that vivid memory of of being treated, you know, by this particular lady not so nice. Hmm. You know, I, you know, as, as I'm listening to the story, you know, I, I'm going. I, I picture the movie Malcolm X. I know a lot of people have seen that movie, and when um, he, um, um, Denzel Washington, who played Malcolm X, was taking numbers and he was writing them down, and um, the, mm-hmm. the main guy told him, "Never write anything down. Always just remember it in your head, just in case." You know, did, did you ever receive any wisdom like that, any advice like that? He didn't say anything my like father, that. My father, that was another mantra of his. He said, Rhonda, never write anything down. He said, because as sure as you write it down, someone will read it and use it against you. Hmm. And I took that literally and I had to use that a few years ago on someone mm-hmm. that was trying to damage my credibility. And mm-hmm. I thought about that thing. You know, and it, it always it came actually from I, I told my daddy one day, I said, Oh daddy, daddy, can I get a diary? We were in the store and he said, No, you can't buy a diary. I won't buy a diary. And that's when he told me, you don't write things down. And, you know, you're young. You don't understand it. But many, 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 many years later, I got it. You know, (laughs) my father had a lot of wisdom, you know, a lot of wisdom. Uh You know, I was was talking to some, some ladies last night at a meeting, and I told them, I said, you know, I'm 50 nine years old and I've never been trick-or-treated. I've never trick-or-treated as a kid. And they said, why? I said, my father said, no. He said, somebody may poison you. Now, how many people have you known been poisoned over the years? And I'm talking 1963-64. I couldn't go trick-or-treat because he was afraid somebody would poison him. You know, he just he just thought ahead. He thought out of the box. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a he had yeah. a thing. He said, "He said I don't follow patterns. I set them." Mm. Wow. So he, I like he was that. he was an awesome he was an awesome guy. You know. Mm-hmm. Now let, let's talk a little bit about family because we know I, I can just imagine you writing a book and it, it's. I don't want to say a tell-all, but it kind of sort of is. So how did the rest of the family react? You know, your siblings, uh, you know. Oh, they were fine. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much older than my siblings. I, my sister next to me, I, I'm nine years older than her. Um, and then I know you remember my other sisters and brothers. They were, they were little kids. In fact, my father's new wife, because my parents divorced in 71, my my sister, my baby sister, um, very unfortunate, and I give um, accolades to her in the book, and because she never
never got a chance to meet my father. My father died of a massive heart attack prior to her being born. So she never got an opportunity to meet our father. And, you know, that is, to me, that's very heart-wrenching. Um, she and I had this conversation several months ago, and she said to me, she said, Rhonda, she said, if I could just hear daddy's voice, you know, and I'm just looking in boxes and everything, trying to find a tape or something with his voice on it to give her that opportunity, you know, to give her that closure that she wants.
that the first person that I chose to publish my book fired me. <laughs> so, I mean, I took that. <laughs> yeah, so imagine that she fired me. But um, I took that and. <laughs> And I took that. I mean, I was I was fine with it because I was going to fire her anyway. Um, but okay. his, I, I had because we didn't we didn't set horses. I, I mean, I'm telling my story, not you telling my story. I'm telling my story. You know, um, mm-hmm. I thought that the person that she was using as her editor, I thought she was a little. Um, and I, I hate to use the choice of words, but um, she, was, she was stereotyping me as a writer because she said to me, um, you keep calling your grandmother mother dear, and then you call her my dear? I said, uh, no, we called my grandmother mother, or mother dear. I mean, and Eric, you can attest to that. What did you call my grandmother? Mother? Everybody calls yep. her mother or mother dear, you know? Yep, so that's true. With that being said, um, that marriage did not did not last. Um, my my biggest thing is I wanted that my cover of my book to be a big draw. I wanted a person to walk by the book and the cover to stop them. And mm-hmm. I was fortunate. Um, I had become friends with a gentleman by the name of Gerald Lilliard, a Lilliard. Mm-hmm. Studios, and he and I had just become friends. And I asked him one day. I, I said, "Hey, let's go out to dinner. I've got something I need to do." And he and I sat down and we talked. And I think he actually felt my heartbeat with this. And after dinner, within two hours, this gentleman had sent me back three different things. The mm. cover. I, the, the third thing that I looked at was the cover of the book, and I knew that was it, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I got the cover done, and um, working with a uh, phenomenal uh, photographer, um, Renee Pagano, um, and everything just kind of fell in place. Like I say, it was almost it was just a gift from God. It was ordained um, being able to mm-hmm. write this book. Um, as you can see, it was done, um, it was actually published through Elon Press, which is out of um, the Orlando area, Maitland, Florida, and I had a wonderful team of people that just walked me through this step by step. Didn't hang me out there and say, hey, this is you. They, I mean, Gina Fleming, Sabrina Johnson, and Jason, they were excellent helping me to get this book to where I got it. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and like I, I mean, said, it, it, it's, it's a process. It, it's a process, and it is not a fast process, you know, when you're writing, mm-hmm. when you're writing. You know, even, you know, some of the editing that, you know, uh, Zulon wanted to do, and I said, no, that's the terminology that was used. And I can't take that back, you know. That's the term, you know. It's kind of like Ray Charles said, "We're gonna make it do what it do," mm-hmm. and that's what it did. Right. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> we had a couple of, of back and forth with, with terms, you know. But 
got to remember the era in which um, this was set. We call this um, a period piece. So um, right. okay. that, that's what I wrote. You, you know, uh, um, you know, and as I said before, it's an excellent book. And you know, as I was going through reading it, you know, uh, being from Jacksonville, you know, it brought back so many, so many vivid memories that I can remember. Especially when you started talking in the book about the fuel truck. Now, I remember that fuel truck coming and filling up that <laughs> kerosene tank back in the back. You know, because back in the time you had kerosene heaters in the house, and that's how you heat each house. You know, and I remember it, it, it used to come around 6 or 7 o'clock in the afternoon or maybe 8 o'clock, depending on, you know, when you place the order. And when I saw that, right. I, just, I just started laughing because I actually remember this truck coming through there. And, but I had no idea, you know, that it was um, related to you and your father, you know, in this whole situation. Right. And that's why I was just like, wow, I remember this. See, let me tell you a little bit, the, the history on the fuel oil truck. My father had this entrepreneurial spirit, okay? And mm-hmm. what he did was he said, well, I'm going to find a way to make some residual income. So what I'll do is I'm going to purchase this fuel oil truck. He hired one of his uh, runners to sell fuel oil, but it just didn't work. You know, the guy kept ruining hoses, and it was actually costing my dad more money than it was making so what my dad did was just went up to his stepfather, um, and you remember my, my stepfather who, who, you know, I always, my granddaddy, and he said, mm-hmm. Jim, you know, you want this truck? And Jim said, yes. He said, it's yours. And he just, he basically signed it over and gave it to him. You know, my dad had a heart of gold. You know, he, he gave mm-hmm. so much away. And um, that's how my grandfather, you know, especially after he retired, he had a fuel oil business. Right. Like I said, oh, and Mr. Yeah. Jim was the coolest. Mr. Jim was cool. I love me for Mr. Jim. Mr. Jim was cool. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. I, Jim, I, we, we loved Mr. Jim, you know, and although he was yeah. not our biological grandfather, you couldn't tell him that. He definitely wasn't going to tell it mm. to us. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. You know, you know Mr. Jim was cool. I'm like man, wow! You know, and I'm, I, you know, in the book you talked about the the vehicles your dad drove and, and bought and purchased, and I was like, you know what? I can see that because, like I say, I remember a whole lot of those places where he bought these vehicles from. And you're right, a lot of the vehicles that he purchased during that time, there weren't many blacks riding around Jacksonville in those, unless maybe you were Artist Gilmore or somebody like that. But that came later on. You know, that came later. Um, he just he yeah, liked the best of the best, you know. And you 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 look at my father used to say every day is Christmas. Why am I gonna mm-hmm. wait till a special day or a special time to buy what I want? I might not be here tomorrow. So mm. he just if he saw it and he wanted it, he bought it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. This is your first book. Okay, this is your first book. So are there any plans for you to write any more soon? I am working on um, my second book right now. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's it's in a totally different realm. 
Um, it, it's totally different. It has nothing to do with uh, Bonita or Gamlin. It just has to do with being black and in love. Mm. Mm. Black and in love. Okay. All right. You know, I. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Uh, some people say that don't exist these days, but I'm not even going into that oh, one. It, 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 it definitely exists. I mean, and it, you know, first of all, people got to learn one thing. You got to love yourself before you can love anybody else. Mm. So if you don't know, mm. you better start learning how to love yourself. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, hey, you got any more questions for Miss Miss Rhonda Baker before I get to um, read? No, <laughs> no, I don't. But I do have a comment about that because you know I said that you know we always talk about being in love and wanting a relationship, but if you don't love yourself, you will never be able to love anyone. You won't even be able to appreciate someone else. Exactly. You know? And, and you know, my father used to say, you know, people always talk about, oh, how bad someone treated me. My daddy said, you teach people how to treat you. People only do oh, wow. to you what you allow them to allow do. Allow them to do. Exactly. Yes. So I'm not yes. going to allow you to disrespect me mm-hmm. and treat me badly because I can point you towards the exit sign real quick. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the I like that. The Jet Magazine 
And there was a doctor in D.C. that said he wanted to treat only patients that had vitiligo and it was a serious case. So instead of my daddy uh, calling the next day, making an appointment, he calls the airline and makes an airline reservation, goes to be, walks into this man's office, you know, kind of like Victor Newman off of uh, Young and the Restless. And asked to be seen, and the receptionist goes back, talks to the doctor. The doctor comes out, gets my dad, says, you know, because you came from so far, I'm going to see you. He treated my father for vitiligo, gave him a drug called Benequin, which is a high-grade bleacher. Um, that drug is now off the market. It's called uh, hydro- hydroquinine now. And it basically faded out the rest of the dark spots that was in my father's face and arms. So now my father looks like any white man walking down the street. Wow. So the incident um, one day on Florida Avenue, because Florida Avenue was kind of a hangout base for everybody, you know, that – you know, grew up in East Jacksonville. Um, Bob Hayes, for instance, came out of East Jacksonville. He and my father were good friends. Uh, General Emmett Page came out of East Jacksonville. That was my father's first cousin. But anyway, they had a little incident where one of the cops um, ran into the shoe shop where my father was and, you know, starts ranting and raving, uh, uh, Frank, Frank, uh, you fit the description of somebody that just robbed a place. And my dad, you know, kind of looked at him. He said, well, you know, I'm just as white as you. You fit the description, too. You know, and these are the things that people would say to him, you know, you know, just trying to, you know, be stereotypical. And, you know, guys in the shoe shop laughing and, you know, giggling and stuff. Because in all essence, he looked like any white man walking down the street. Mm. Okay, until you and your sister showed up next to him, then they had this funny look on their face. And so me and my sister Pebbles, I'm calling her Pebbles uh, on national talk radio, but her her name is French Sean, but we call her Pebbles. And until my sister and I walked up, and then we got a different look then. (laughs) But um. It, it was good. Like I say, they he was so well respected and, and people just loved him. Um he he gave me so much. He introduced me to music and um I got my love of music from my dad. Um he's just an awesome guy. Yeah. Speaking of music, you, you have you done any recitals lately? I haven't done um any recording lately, I am currently working on uh, some music uh, with a couple of people um, looking at taking on an artist um, and seeing what I can do with him. I mean, because my background is so heavy in music, um, but um, I, I'm really focused a lot, hoping to go on tour soon with this, with the book. and. Um, that's that's kind of all that's happening, you know. And I, you know, I have an adult daughter, and she's a lot with me. Um, and she also is a graduate of Edward Waters College, and she has an undergraduate in 
psychology and um, looking towards working on her master's in psychology. So, you know, all is good. I'm The book is, is, is doing well for me, and, you know, people seem to like it. Mm. Hey, I mean, how can you not like the book? I mean, once once you get into it, you know, it, it's so gripping, you know, you, you get caught up in it, and it's like one of those books where you start reading and you get to the meat. You can't put it down because you, you're interested in how this turned out, how this worked, you know, and it's like, wow. But you know, and, 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 Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. No, what I was saying, you know, but reading through the book, you know, I, it, it, it kind of, and you mentioned it a little bit on the show earlier today about, you know, him not making baseball because of his disease, but it doesn't say how mm-hmm. he actually, upon being a banker or getting involved in the numbers game. I mean, who introduced it to him? You know, um, how, how did he about that? Well, um, because East Jacksonville was such a small community that he grew up in. But, you know, one of the things I want to make people understand something about growing up in East Jacksonville, East Jacksonville was a close-knit community for blacks. On that strip of Florida Avenue was everything, and 99.9% of the businesses were black-owned, okay, and they were well-established businesses. Um, my father, like I said, grew up in East Jacksonville, so he still had ties. Even though he wasn't living there anymore, he was out there every day. So when his baseball career, you know, um, basically tanked, you know, everybody knows everybody's business. So one of his high school classmates came to him and said, yeah, you know, Frank, um, and they called him Chico. Chico, you know, mm-hmm. I know a way that you can do so and so and so. You can come into business with me. So that's when he forged his relationship with this particular gentleman. And this just went into a world where he went from making a little bit of money, you know, doing other jobs into just major money, mega money. Mm-hmm. You know. Going out, mm. buying cars for cash, you know. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Um, you know, let's dig a little bit deeper here. Um, as far as the tribulation, okay. hey, when 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 you when your dad was going through these trials, how did the family feel? How what, what were you going through? How, what were you thinking as he was going through these well, things? I know you didn't fully understand it, but. You know, did I he, did, you know, I, give indications, or did he make it seem like everything was fine? Well, my dad, you know, he just, he had to live every day as it, as it was. But what he did understand is he had to get the best legal representation that he could get. He still lived family mm-hmm. life. We still had dinner. We still went to church on Sunday. We still did all the things that we did. Because initially, his first attorney was a white attorney and a very prominent attorney in this city. And mm. um, one of the things that my dad, um, he had a, the discernment, you know, he, he didn't feel comfortable after the guy started to represent him and to charge him 
$13,000 to take his case Ooh. back in 1964. And I remember, you know, over the years after him, he said he just didn't feel good about it. He said he felt like the attorney was working with the feds to put him in jail. And that's why he mm-hmm. fired him. And then he mm. went and got, again, uh, Earl Johnson Sr., who was dynamic. I mean, awesome attorney, awesome guy. And this is the person that got him out of, because he, my father was called as a witness against the other guys that he was working for. And through mm-hmm. him being called as a witness and not being completely honest on the stand, he called a charge of perjury. So, I mean, and so, like I said, he had three major cases, but, I mean, he was a trooper through them all, but that very last case that I mentioned in the book, that took a lot out of my father because he definitely did not do. He was a numbers runner. He said, in a minute, he said, I sell numbers all day and night, but I will not sell drugs. Mm-hmm. And, um, like I said, when you read the book, It'll tell you what the, that last charge was, but, um, again, he prevailed in, in, in that. But that case lasted for 25 months. They seized his brand-new Mercedes-Benz and put it in storage mm. and kept mm. it from him. And, you know, as a kid, I'm watching my father go through this, and the car was still his. He was still making payments on the car. But all he could do was go to the storage room where the storage, where they had it in a parking garage down off of Adams Street and wipe it down mm-hmm. and crank it up. Hmm. Wow. You know. <laughs> so he just, you know, he, he went through a lot in his 47 years. But, you know, I tell people, I think if my dad could come back, he'd come back as Frank Price Baker, and he wouldn't change a thing. Change a thing. Because uh, he, you know what? He, I... lived, he lived life. Life did not live him. He, he definitely mm-hmm. lived life. Life didn't live him. You know, and my father loved the Lord, and he taught us to be respectful and love the Lord. Hmm. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I know I talk about him like he was a king or royalty. And I tell people to, to little girls, daddy's always king. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my, my sister always laughs and she says, "You get that OCD from daddy." <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, she tell me the minute you make me. You're just like daddy. You just clean, clean, clean. And that's just, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Okay. Mm. So, you know, I just, I tried to take a lot, you know, I've taken a lot of who he was and, and implemented it in my own life, you know. And my father said, you got to put something into it to get something out of it. Out of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at the book, and you have you have a whole lot of information in here. Um, you even have copies of the indictments, the warrants, and everything. You know, so everybody can actually oh. see. And yeah, 
And, you know, looking at all these cases, I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, mm-mm-mm. That's just crazy. But once again, it goes to show how Mr. Smith will come after you. If he really wants to try and get you, he'll come as hard as he can. But tell us a little bit about Bobby Kennedy. In the book, you said that he he even got involved in this thing. For real? Well, one of the things that, uh, that he did was he felt like Jacksonville and Tampa were hotbeds for Bolita, and he's going to stamp out Bolita in Florida. And I said, you guys ain't nothing but a bunch of bootleggers. You know, you made your fortune <laughs> off of a bootlegging liquor. You know, and mm. now you want to come in and try to stamp out Bolita? So um, that that's just kind of, you know, what they were saying. And, yeah. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Pete, you got anything else? No. No? Oh, my goodness. No. What right there. <laughs> very, very, very thorough and very informative. I'm quite sure it's a very interesting book. I'm going to have to get it. Okay. Yeah, please do. And it's available on, on Amazon.com. Uh, the book is entitled Numbers 35 and 53, The Case of the Brown Paper Bag. Um, or you can look for it under my name. is Rhonda Baker Stansberry. And like yeah. I say, it is a short, quick, good read, heartfelt, and um, it'll make you cry, but it's a good book. <laughs> oh. Okay, I ain't going to say it make you cry because I ain't cry, but I couldn't put it down until I finished it, that's for sure. I mean, it, this is an outstanding book. I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, you did an excellent job. You really, really did, you know. Um, and knowing the history between me and you, oh, yeah, I, like I said, I can just visualize a lot, what you, a lot of what you put in this book. You know, not so much okay. all of it, but some of it. <laughs> you know, like the fuel truck. Right. <laughs> you know, Miss Jim. And that's all you get from Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you of know, course, the family, east side, Yeah, you know, the east side, you didn't go on the east side unless you knew someone after a while. You know, you just didn't go over right. there a lot of gagging around. Yeah, because that was over there by the Gator Bowl, what used to be the what used to be the Gator Bowl, I forgot, and, you know, the Wolfson Park and the Coliseum and all that. You know, you just didn't right. run over there talking about you visiting. <laughs> you had that now. <laughs> you had to know somebody oh, it to was over, over there. Huh? It was a close-knit neighborhood. It was a very close-knit neighborhood. Um, when my dad was growing up, they didn't have to leave the neighborhood to go anywhere. They could buy anything they want, right, wanted right there on Florida Avenue. Mhm. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, it is it, just amazing, and I, I really do appreciate you writing this book. Um, it's great. I, I'm enjoying it. Um, so I guess that's gonna do it for us today, Miss Miss Rhonda. You know, I don't know why I want to call Thank you Miss Miss Rhonda. <laughs> I know you're Rhonda, but you're always going to be Rhonda. <laughs> I'm going to be Rhonda. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, guys, for having you. It's been wonderful. Oh, no problem. And, uh, you know, when your next one come out, or you come back and give us an update on this one if you want to, you know, the sales, and we can talk some more because that's what we hear. Okay. 
I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you guys having me and, and, and letting me just kind of voice my opinion and, and just tell about Jacksonville and, and the love I have for the city and, and my father and my family. And I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, yeah, I'm going to tell y'all, I'm going to give y'all a little history on me and Rhonda. Me and Rhonda met at the city of Jacksonville Motor Pool. Am I right? That's where we met at. Cause I was working That's there. true. That's true. Back in, in 83, August of 83. Yes, we did. Yeah, uh, okay. I don't remember the month. I just know. I just know that's where we met. I'm real good. With, <laughs> I'm real good with dates. I'm the daughter of a numbers, Ron. I'm good with dates and numbers. Okay. See, I guess I wouldn't have made it because uh, my mind be gone. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so that gives y'all kind of a history. You know, we we kept in touch over the years, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing, and. You know, I, I'm just so proud of her. I'm proud of you. I, I really am. Thank you. you know, it, 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 it took a lot. It took a whole lot to do this book. I know it did because I remember us having conversations about your dad. You know, you, we used to sit down and you used to tell me about him all the time. So it's great to see it in, in, in black and white now so everybody else can, can see what a wonderful man your father was. You know, and that just goes Thank to show you. that even though what many people consider maybe illegal, you know, it doesn't have, uh, um, how can I put it? It doesn't tell you the, the whole uh, um, being of the of the person that's doing the so-called illegal stuff. You know, because back then, it, 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 you know, northern running was a very, very um, big part of the economic um, part of the black community back then. You know, that's how, actually, if you want to really look at it, that's how money stayed within the community. Let's look at well, it like know- that. Well, you know, one of the things that, you know, through my research, Eric, is I found out the Negro League baseball team was heavily, heavily by Bolita. Mm. So, again, source of survival. Source of survival. Because a lot of the owners were running numbers as well, right? were running numbers. People were building baseball fields. Greenleaf built a baseball field. In Philadelphia, through Polina. <laughs> so, uh, like I wow. said, it's a gentleman's game. You know, when you start talking, you gotta you gotta know the history. And if you're gonna play lottery, y'all need to make them do something with the money. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. stop going yeah. down there bubbling in names. Just stop going in there bubbling in names for people and you don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> Uh-oh. Don't, 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 don't get on my soapbox. Please don't make me get on my soapbox about that. <laughs> don't you make know, me do I, that. I, I'm sorry. I am not going to vote for you unless you can tell me what you're going to do to make this city grow. Right. This space. You know what? You know, I you know want to see you petting dogs and kissing babies. I want to see you do mm-hmm. something. Yeah, I call it. I call it um, pimping the black community, and that's basically what. And, 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 and stop, stop showing up at the black churches when it's mm. voting season. Come see yeah. us all the season. We said that. We said that. We said that. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and pastors, all of them, don't want them in. <laughs> 
All of a sudden, you got religion. All of a sudden, you got religion. And you showing up to my church and want to be recognized. Oh, you, y'all about to make me shout up in here. <laughs> oh, no. Y'all, so. y'all going to make me shout up in here. Stop it. <laughs> 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 hey, but, <laughs> but check this out. You know, my thing with, with politicians, and I say, you know, all of them can stand up there and say, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and blah, 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 blah. But my question, I said, someone needs to stand up and ask this one question, and you will see just how serious they have given this thought. How are you going to do it? You can tell me what you're going to do all day, but tell me how are you going to do it? You know, and if, see, if I you believe in timelines. Huh? Yeah, exactly. I believe in timelines. I want to know when you're right. going to do it. I want to see your strategic mm-hmm. plan of when, how Thank you're going to you. do it. In other words, what is your specific detailed plan of action to accomplish what you're saying? That's exactly. What we're mm-hmm. And are we going to do it on October 1st? Are we going to do it on December 2nd? I want to know. Mm-hmm. You know, and if, 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 if any of them can tell you that and give you a timeline, that means they have actually sat down and thought about what they need to do to get it done. But just for them to stand up in somebody's pulpit or in front of the pulpit and say, well, I'm going to do this for the black community. I'm gonna, well, we've heard all that before. We, we've heard that all before, you know. <laughs> and we know what happens once you get in office. Nothing happens. So, Nothing. yeah. So y'all remember that out there, huh? You know, be careful who you're voting for. You know, you need to know their platform. Mm-hmm. But most of all, you need to know if they're going to stick to the platform. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And my favorite term is, hey, y'all, get away from being a Democrat. Get away from being a Republican. Learn their platform. Learn what they stand for and vote for the best person. That's the only way you can be able to change it. I, I want to see you service the people. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, that should be the, the, the most important thing. You know, we need to get some of that. We need to get away from that, that daggone traditional type of craziness. That's what's been killing us, you know, besides integration for 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 years now. Uh, okay. I'm not going to get on that thought. I'm not going to get on no, that thought. No, no. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. You're going to take me with you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because like I say, I believe education is key. Mm. I believe it's key. You know, I, 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 I've always encouraged my baby to read. My baby reads probably a book a week, you know. Oh, don't see so, there. You go again. Don't get me on that one. Because <laughs> we don't read in the black community. We will not read. Unless, well, let me change that. Unless it's got to do something with sports, and it's about a couple of articles long. That's about it. Are they telling you about Listen, are they telling me about Beyonce's new baby? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you're right about that. Oh, she got another one? Yeah, I don't know. But you understand, I think she got two. I don't know. I mean, mean, that's wonderful. She's blessed. But tell me something. 
that can give me a way so I can be more productive. Something is going to impact my life. Exactly. For me, it moves me further forward. Something. Something. It's so much talent here in, in, in Jacksonville. So it's, it's unbelievable. It, it, it is. And, you know, I see just talent being wasted. You know, people have so many great ideas. I mean, it's for instance, the gentleman that did this book cover for me, he's a veteran. You know, and we met, like I say, sheer accident. I had no idea that he was as talented as he is. And he also does sculptures. He does paintings. But, you know, he needs a chance. He needs an opportunity to be discovered. You know, Gerald Lilliard is one of the best, but he's a secret. Hmm. And he's never wow. had a lesson in his life. Never had a lesson in his life. Wow. So. That's some good stuff. All right, Rhonda, we got to get up out of here, lady. So before I let you go, as all I right. always do all my guests, go ahead and give me some last words for the people. Hey, just go out and take a look at the book, Numbers 35 and 53, The Case of the Brown Paper Bag, The Bolita Princess Has Spoken. All right. <laughs> well, once again, thank you, ma'am, and uh, we'll be talking thank to you soon. I love right. you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. <laughs> that was Miss Rhonda Baker-Sansbury, author of Oh, 35 and 53, The Case of the Brown Paper Bag. Outstanding book. You can find it on Amazon.com. All right? So, P, I tell you, what you think? It's about your time, well, too, Yeah, that was really good. I mean, a rich, rich history in, in that. Right there in our own hometown. Imagine that. I'm telling mm, you, boy. You imagine know. that. All right, so, you know, let's, let's, let's do your thing. Give me the poem, girl. Let me see here what you got going on. All right, today's poem is called The Daughter's Love. Um, this is for Miss 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 Baker Sansbury, so I do hope she's still listening. Eric, if not, you make sure you send her a copy. Um, immeasurable, okay. unconditional, and true. Wanted by many, treasured by few. Loyal, faithful, caring, and kind. These are the attributes only acquired with time. It is not something that can be bought, a gift here and there, or a casual thought. It is time spent in her younger days, teaching her, molding her, shaping her ways. It's not a fly-by-night operation. It's being there in every situation. It's the security of knowing come what may, my father is, can, and will make a way. A daughter's love, explicitly applied, is her father's joy and his pride. When the woman she grows to be exemplifies true worth and integrity, father ingrained a standard. She is not moved from her values. A daughter's love for her father is a wonder, a sensation like no other. Oh, wow. That's great. I love that. All right. Make sure you give me a copy of it so we can put it on the website. 
Uh, the website will be updated by tomorrow afternoon, so make sure y'all stop by there. Uh, we got some good stuff on there, including Kanye West, you know, little journey to the Oval Office, and um, I'm going to see if I can't find Trump's um, 60-minute interview and put it on there as well. And, of course, the poem and so forth and so on. And a copy of this show here, so if you missed any parts, you can go there and listen to it or find it on the archives on Blog Talk. All right. So thank you, T. As always, much no. love. Any last words? Any last words? That was my last words right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, ma'am, and um, catch you in a little bit. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. All right, once again, y'all, thank you for listening to the show. I really do appreciate it. Guest 204 and 241 in the chat room, thank you for hanging out with us. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you got any suggestions for topics or anything like that, you can email me at ericletstalk at gmail.com, or you can hit P. Ross up at P, as in Papa, dot Leona, L-E-O-N-A, dot Ross24 at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website page for the show, uh, ericletstalk.com, and, uh, you know, we have a a, a spot there where you can leave a message also. So that's going to do it for me. I really don't have any last words. I think we did, uh, 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 you know, uh, we we got this thing. We got this thing going on, and we enjoy having you, as always. Okay? So until Friday. We'll be here Friday at 2 p.m. Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific, 1 Mountain Time. This has been Let's Talk on Blog Talk Radio. Remember, keep smiling, show appreciation, forgive with an open heart, but make sure you're forgiving yourself first. And the biggest, best thing, learn to laugh at yourself, baby. If you can laugh at yourself, everything else is just gravy. I guarantee it. Trust me. Try it. All right? So we're going to take you out here with some Isley Brothers, man, You know because you know what? We got some work to do. All right, see everybody Friday. Have a great week. We're out of here.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.